As if today hasn't been packed enough with this great, incredible things, today we have with us Ray and Ruth Dash, and they, uh, many of you are familiar with them. They've been around for a bit. We've supported them for quite a few years, but I met Ray 11 years ago when we went to New York City to do an outreach with a friend of mine from college uh, who ran a ministry there called Street to Street Ministries, which are basketball tournaments, but Ray was the hosting church for our group there in Newark and got to know him, but the thing that impressed me most was right there on his church wall, it said preaching the gospel or preaching the word verse by verse or something of that nature. And just this guy loves God's word and understands the power of God's word. So when I invited him today, I said, hey, would you want to just continue our series in John? Because all of these passages are just so powerful. And so I know that God has given him a great word to say today from John chapter 16 as he just carries on our series. So Ray, if you could come up here and Ruth, if you'll stand up, and, and this is his wife, Ruth, just make sure you get to know her if you haven't. She's an incredible, incredible lady. And so, great to have you, my brother. Thank you, thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Again, if you have your Bibles, um, John chapter 16. I hear you guys have been in John for 60-something weeks, and um, you say, good Lord. Well, let me encourage you. We're in Acts, and we're at 118, and so, um, you know, everything is relative, I guess. Um, it's a blessing to be here. Um, this is family, um, just an interesting way that God has brought us together, as you heard um, Pastor John share just now, and um, it's interesting. I was just thinking about that because um, I am the new add-on to the board of Street to Street now, so those are some years that have spread out, and we're just reaching um, communities through basketball with the gospel, and so um, nonetheless, Acts chapter 16 if you're taking notes, I always encourage people, walk with your pen, your Bible, and something to take notes on, um, tablet. I know we're in the technology age, so if you have your tablet or whatever, just um, something that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, our hearts this day. And so, title of the message is, A Little While, A Little While. And so, um, I know Pastor John has expressed this, and I'm picking up. Um, between this journey through the book of John, but Jesus is having this long talk with the disciples. And in this chapter thus far, we've seen that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. We also see that the Holy Spirit will instruct the believers and giving guidance to them, you know. And, and so today, though, we we kind of see it in a respect of the Holy Spirit wants to guide us through prayer. And I really believe that's what we'll discover in this today. And, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had probably the, one of the worst weeks in ministry. Um, about, I've been in Newark for about 15, 16, we're coming up on 16 years now, and about Fifteen years ago, I met a young man when we were at the garage um, across town where Pastor John actually met us, and that phrase was, where the Bible is taught verse by verse. 
And so um, across the street, we had prayed away some 17 drug dealers on that block. And after some time, there was a group of guys that came up and tried to reestablish on that block some activity. And I approached them and I said, hey, let me explain something to you. There's no more drug dealing on this block. We have kids on this block playing in the street and whatnot. And so um, if the police come, you don't have to wonder who told. You can trust that I called the police. And, you know, in the community I'm from or where I, we live at, snitches get stitches or even worse, they get killed. But um, we wanted to make very clear that, hey, this is not what's happening here. And so um, this young man, one of the young men there, I would see him trying to do so. I said, hey, I told you, up the street or down the block, but not here. And there was one week that that young man came into the church and you see him following along in the word and then he played in our street-to-street basketball tournament and won the MVP and said, man, I never won anything in my life and had these trophies and whatnot. And then um, some years passed by and we moved on the other side of town and we lost contact because he had gotten incarcerated. And there was this, I don't have the time to explain, but this miraculous story that took place that brought us back together. And at that time, he was involved with a religion called Santeria, um, just black magic, um, witchcraft stuff. And so um, he renounced his faith in that, got saved. We baptized him. I dedicated his, now he had three daughters. We dedicated them to the Lord. And um, he was in and out. He, he moved up to Albany, and, and then he came back down, and he was at the church about a month ago prior to, so sometime in January, and I was just blessed to see him, and I'm reading the newspaper a few weeks after that, and it had his name in the paper, one of four people that had gotten shot, and um, I said, no, his name is, you know, peculiar, so I knew, like, hey, this is him, 30-year-old, and I go over to the location, and I can't, you know, normally they set up a memorial and, and so forth, but there's no memorial there. And go back later on, I see his sister's there and find out it was, in fact, him. He had been shot three times in the face. Um, and it was just heartbreaking. And I would think, like, for the last 16 years, we've been serving in this city. And I tell you what, I've done about 15 weddings, but I've lost count of how many funerals I've performed. It's just heartbreaking to see, like, life after life, you know, just being taken senselessly. And I'm not political, but you know what? I'm not one to blame Caucasians for the reason why people die in our community. And I'll let them know real quick, hey, we have to change the narrative here. When we turn and repent and turn back to Jesus, our neighborhoods will be different. But until then, we have no right to blame anybody else. We have to own ours. And so here today, as I think about this story, there is sorrow. And I must say this. I don't care where you're from or where you're at. Sorrow will come knocking on our doors. 
whether you live in the north or whether you live in the south, whether you are wealthy or whether you are poor and just making it, sorrow will come knocking at your door one day. And so it was for the disciples. And I believe Jesus wants to give us clarity on how to discover joy from our sorrows. The statement Jesus uses is a little while. And I believe a little while in prayer can go a long way. Three things I want to point out together in our time. Number one, the confusion in verses 16 through 18. Then I want to look at the clarification in 19 through 22. And then I want to look at the comfort that we find in 23 through 24. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you for the day. I thank you for this time that we can gather together in your word and where we find commonality at the foot of the cross. And Father, I just ask that you would go before us, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would be glorified. Be the center of all that processes through our hearts this morning. We ask you go before us now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. We said in verses 16 through 18, we look at the confusion. The disciples here, as Jesus is saying, and we pick up in verse 16, he says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he is saying to us? A little while. And you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is that? What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is saying. They didn't understand the big picture. And as you look at this passage, you know, we must understand what the author intended to communicate here. You know, we can't make up our own meanings. I believe there is one meaning that the scriptures talk about, but there are many applications that we can discover from the text. And here we see something. He says, a little while, a little short, insignificant time, if you may. I, I think of what Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. A little while, this short time that you may face challenges, difficulties in your life is not to be compared to what's to come. That's worthy of an amen. I don't know about y'all, but I think of that and I say amen. When you've gone through some things, it's insignificant compared to what's down the road. You know, the disciples would soon sorrow for a little while. You know, this reference could mean and have this thought as you look at the first verse in 16, this progression, if you may, a reference to the soon death of Jesus as he would be crucified and resurrect. He says, a little while, you will not see me. But then here, understand, because this world's attitude, right, when Jesus was being mocked and, and, and being crucified, hey, the world was rejoicing. They had celebration, but the disciples were grieving at this time, having difficulties navigating through this time. 
But then also think about this. They had disappointment after Jesus was buried. But then remember on the road to Emmaus, remember when, when Jesus unpacked the scriptures to them, they said their hearts burned. And so when we think about this, there was this time of grief or sorrow that was turned to joy. And so here, the crucifixion, and then you will see me again, the resurrection. And then he says, because I go to the Father, I believe it's talking about the ascension that we will see here that takes place after those 40 days that Jesus spent with and in and out with among the disciples. But he says here, you will see me. And I believe this. I believe there's this implication that, hey, you see me physically today, but in, think about it in this respect. You will soon see me intuitively when the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes. Here, when you think about this here, this word see me means to catch sight of or notice, perhaps even visit or experience. And when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, we too today now see Jesus, how? Not in the physical, but in the spiritual. We see him. We see him at work. We see him in our lives. We see him in our church, amen? If not, we have a problem. Here, look, understand, as we think about this here, the Spirit of God will reveal the Son of God through the pages of the Word of God. And what we see in verse 18, we see the disciples trying to figure out what is Jesus, what does he have said? And But they're trying to figure it out. Notice what the Bible says. It says, among themselves. I find this interesting because they're asking, what is this that he says a little while? We don't know what he is saying. I wonder today, as disciples of Jesus, where do you go for clarity? for understanding, for the things we hear from the Lord. Here, when you think about that, where do you go? Am I talking to others before I talk to Jesus about my concerns? That's a question I must ask myself. As we transitioned into the pandemic, and we all did that, there was this uncertainty that pretty much the world had. And it would have been very easy for me to pick up my phone and call my pastor, who has been pastoring for over 35, 40 years, and say, Pastor Lloyd, what, what, what do you do in a situation like this? It would have been very easy to, to, to open up the papers or get some emails going and, and, and discover what other churches were doing in this time. But I just had this sense in my heart. Why don't you just cut through the chase? This is new for everybody. Why don't you go to the source? Why don't you go vertical and ask the Lord, what are we to be doing here? Not at, at, at Grace Church, but at the Rock Christian Fellowship in Newark. God, what would you have us to do? And so he led us to not stop one Sunday straight through the pandemic. And I am here today to say, hey, you know what? As we look back, I would not have done it any other way. I do not regret the decision in following what Jesus had called us to do, even though there were some who started and said, hey, we should go that way. 
only to fall off halfway across the ocean. Here, look, understand this here. Where are we getting our direction from? Are we reasoning among each other? As disciples of Jesus, we should learn to follow his example. Notice what Jesus says. And this is a play on words. It says, I go to the Father. We too should learn how to go to the Father for answers. And here, when you think about this, are you confused about something that Jesus has said? Go to him that you may get clarity. You know, when the Lord spoke that to our hearts to go forward, I, I, I take a step like this, okay, and then it's like, oh, God, what do we do from here? Because it was all new. But God doesn't call us to know everything and understand everything. That wasn't Abraham's story. He had to take the first step. What do we want to know everything for? And some of us think that way. All the way through, we have it all figured out. But where does faith play in? Where does obedience play in when you already figured out the whole program? And here we must consider this. We first see the confusion. It doesn't come from our friends. I mean, the clarity doesn't come from our friends, but we need to go vertical. We next look at the clarification that Jesus will bring. And notice what it says in verse 19. It says, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful. But, notice what it says, your sorrow will be what? Turned into joy. Jesus understood that they wanted to question him, but only looked for answers by talking among themselves. So he asked them, are you trying to learn or to search for answers to what I have said? Isn't this so true of you and I? You have a desire to inquire, but the baby starts fussing. You have a desire to inquire, but your job demands um, you come in a little earlier. You have a desire to inquire, but you know what? Your kids have extra homework this week. Or you know what, hey, I want to spend some time in prayer, but hey, one of my kids, I got to take them to this sports activity and over to this thing, and I don't have time to inquire, even though I desire to inquire. Here, look, understand, as you think about this for your own self, Jesus is among us, just like he was among those disciples. And look here, he's among us and desires to be invited in. Why were they asking one another when the one who said it was right in the room? What do you think he said? What do you think he means? Well, won't you go ask him? Somebody needs to say that. You know when people do that in the church? You need to send them right back to the person that they're asking. Well, what do you think Pastor John meant by what he said over here? Or, or why did he do this? Go ask him. That'll solve a lot of things. You bring a, get a lot of clarity that way. Here, look, understand. Although there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel, 
We need to learn to look to Jesus because he's near. A.W. Tozer put it this way, we ask him to come when he is already present and waiting for us to recognize him. Are you recognizing that Jesus is near? In verse 20, Jesus begins to explain this important point. He was going to die. The crucifixion was right at hand. This would be a sorrowful time for the disciples. They had left all to follow Jesus and had been with him for some three years, building deep intimacy in their relationship. And Jesus says they would now, notice, he said, you will weep and lament. In other words, you'll have this deep wailing of a cry. At times, we can feel as though Jesus is not present. And we fail to trust his wisdom, power, and love. Have you been there before? Well, God, where are you? Where are you? I'll just figure it out because, you know, I'm not trusting in your wisdom. You know, God, you're moving too slow. And so I don't believe you love me. Here, look, understand as you think about this. Oh, oh God, you know, I don't see you today. And so what? Yeah, I, I, I'll take the power into my own hands. Because I don't think you're powerful enough to change this situation. Have you been there? Look, maybe in your context, that's your marriage. Things are just shaky. You don't believe for brighter days. Every day you're crying out to the Lord. Most of the wives do this, right? They go, God, please change him. It's not the husband. They're like, what's wrong? I don't see anything wrong. Everything seems to be fine here. But here, look, understand. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe you, you raised them up in the way of the Lord, and, and they've gone astray. And you're crying out, God, would you change them? Would you bring them back home? They're a prodigal today, but I'm longing for you to save them. And you don't see any change. And every time you get a change, you, you would just get back to church. You would get, you, everything would be all right. Hey, just let God work. Give him some space. What is he doing in you during that time? That's a real good question to ask. The disciples had been with Jesus. They should have known what Jesus was talking about. No. Like I start to understand. Me and my wife, we just look at each other now. We've been married almost 25 years. We look at you. Oh, yeah. I got it. That wasn't like that in the first year. What are you talking about? We too should know. When you look at government, you're like, what in the world is going on? And me too. Where's God in that? And rightfully so. But do we really trust that he's still the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he still sits on his throne? I don't care who's in the office. Jesus is still in authority. I don't know if y'all really convinced of that. He's saying, yeah, okay, but... um. Well, let's open up. Watch, watch this. And I'll just be honest with you. The next election is going to come back around. And how will our posture be no matter what happens? Oh, you know, we have to fight to make this happen. Hey, I think it's good for the church not to have their man in the office. 
It's got you praying more, right? It's got you calling on Jesus more, right? It's good for the church. This is terrible. I I understand. Don't get me wrong. I understand. But it's actually good. It's refining. Hey, you sorrow for a little while. Hey, you know what? Sometimes when I think of our ministry and there's people that strung out, drugs, family structures, messed up. And sorrow in this place. Like, God, what are you doing? What's happening here? People take one step forward and it seems like ten steps backwards. Here, look, as you think about this here, this is a time that that they were going to lament, Jesus says, and the world's going to rejoice, mocking over them. And hey, you know what the truth of the matter is? As you look at our world today, it seems like the world is glad about everything as they keep pushing the church out of all the frontline things. They seem to be in a good position. But I love this part right here because it says, Jesus says, I'm going to, you will sorrow, but your sorrow, watch this, will be what? Turned to what? Joy. Notice it doesn't say that your sorrow will be substituted by something else. But he says he's going to take the very thing. He's not going to take your sorrow away, but he's going to take that very thing and turn it, transform it into what? Joy. Well, how could that be? Well, think about this. After the resurrection, after the ascension, when you think about the disciples and through the epistles, you don't hear them murmuring and complaining about the crucifixion. You actually hear them rejoicing. But in the moment, it was sorrowful that Jesus was taken away. No? And so here, when you think about this here, for them, hey, you know what? The joy of his resurrection brought joy back to their hearts. Here, when you think about this here, hey, they were full of joy when they seen these things take place. And I wonder... Even as you think about on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the church, weren't they excited that 3,000 people were saved? Here, look, think about this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 says this. In this, you, are greatly, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, that's the reality for us today. For us, the joy that is found in seeing him and seeking him through his word. You're going through something? You have sorrow, but when you turn back to the Word of God instead of allowing just all these thoughts to go in your mind and and, and things that, you know, you get bombarded. I know I get attacked in my mind constantly, but it's not until I take every thought captive 
into the obedience of Christ Jesus. And I look to him and, and lean into his presence and look to his word for direction that I can find some sense of joy, some sense of peace, because my joy is not predicated on my circumstance. And neither should yours be either. And this is a joy to know this, that Jesus is coming again for his church. And so no matter what things look like, hey, we can trust that. The things that cause us pain also have the ability to bring us joy. I wonder today, do we believe God could do that in the midst of our very own circumstance? You have a business today? And it's not flourishing or at the place where you thought it should be? Can you trust that God could turn this season of sorrow into joy? Hey, you know what? Again, when you think about this generation, and I know I, I, it's, it's always, I was sharing earlier with my brother, like, hey, it's a blessing when I come down here, I go to a drive through Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. No, ma'am. Whoa, where am I? That don't happen up where I live at. Yo, what you want? That's more like what it sounds like. Get out my way. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. At the drive-thru, I could do this. Look, but this generation is just different. And I tell you what, I believe God. As I look at our church, and there's so many young people. I'll tell you about that young man who's 30 when his life was taken away. But I could sit each week with a group of five young 20-something-year-olds digging into the Word, growing in discipleship, looking to walk with Jesus. When the world is going crazy, they're looking for answers. Here, look, understand this. When you think about your religious activity, perhaps, do you know that the sorrow of religion could be turned to joy by just turning into a living relationship with Jesus today? Here, look, understand, as you think about this, something that takes or makes it, that, do you have something that will help you get through the times of difficulty and pain? I pray that you have a promise to hold on to through his word. There's something that God is able to give you to get through because he said, hey, he's not going to take it away, but he's going to turn it into joy. How do you find that? Weeping may endure for a night, but finish the verse with me. Joy comes in the morning. That's the truth here. As we look in verse 21, think about it with me. It says now when Jesus gives this example of a woman when she is in labor. And has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take away from you. In verse 21, I don't see, I don't know if you missed it, but notice here how Jesus, when he gives this illustration, is using an illustration of giving birth to a group of guys. 
Now, I know the ladies in the room who have brought forth children caught this right away. Oh, yeah, I, can, I identify with that. But I don't know that we guys can, can pick it up right away. We understand from a distance. I've been in the room with all four of my children when they were born. And, and you know what? I, I watched Ruthie go through pain and, and anguish, but I had the, the camera. I was trying to, you know, capture the moment, you know. <laughs> oh, get that camera out of my face, you know. <laughs> and you think about this here for them. What was it like as Jesus gives this example to them? That soon, as soon as she gives birth, no longer is this trouble stirred up in their heart. I've also watched that as they put the baby on her chest to see the beauty of a child being brought into the world. We like this. Women face trying times, as I mentioned Things that cause us sorrow, you've wept, you've lamented. But what has been born from your sorrow and your troubles? What has come forth from you? Because we birth things. When you go through the trial and you don't walk through it with Jesus, there's a different kind of outcome. The fruit of that is different than when you've walked through with him. What have you brought forth from walking through your trials with him? You know, I think of a time where my daughter was just not walking with the Lord. But being able to pray and cry out to the Lord, and today I can say it is to the praise and glory of God that she today is walking again with Jesus. What did we do? We, you need to get back with God. We didn't do all of that. We cut through the chase and went through Jesus. And I, I want to point out something here. In John chapter 11, I know you went through it. But you remember the story of Lazarus and his death? And you see the picture of, of him resurrecting or Jesus bringing him back to life. But think about this, because it says this in John chapter 11, it was for the sake that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But I don't know if you caught this here. In verse 5, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What does it say about him? He loved them, right? In verse 6, though, it says, so when he heard that he, speaking of Lazarus, was sick, Notice what it says. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. You mean to tell me Jesus loved them but didn't respond right away to what they were crying out about? No, no, no. It says he loved them so he stayed two more days. And you see, this is the truth about our situation. Sometimes we're crying out and we're expecting him to come out right away, change it. Especially when we can pull out these phones today and get Google answers and, and Liapedia and all of that stuff right away. We don't need to wait. What do you mean? Jesus, you're just taking too long. But Jesus loved, and so he stayed two more days. Here, look, understand this. 
in verse 22, Jesus tells them, you presently are experiencing grief, afflictions, and sadness, but he would see them again, and their hearts or their minds or their inner selves would be glad, and nobody nor nothing will be able to take away their joy. I wonder today for you and I, hey, where have you found joy at? It's not predicated on happiness. Happiness is different. The world is happy. Oh, based on the circle. Oh, we're just having a great time today. As soon as the circumstance, something hit them. <laughs> this is, I want to die. It's so extreme. But here, look, understand. When you're walking with Jesus and he's giving you joy and he's the source of your joy, hey, no matter what's going on, there should be a calm because he has your best interests at heart. And here, when we see this here, we've talked about the confusion. We talked about the clarification and let's bring it in for a close with the comfort. In verses 22 through 24, it says, and in that day... You will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In that day, after the ascension, this is speaking of here, they would, be, they, they would not be able to ask Jesus any questions face on. But Jesus told them in verses 13 through 15, the Holy Spirit would help them in their prayers and so forth. But Jesus would become the mediator and access they would have to the Father. In verse 27, the Father speaks of loving them. And Jesus, again, went to the Father in verses 16 and 17 and also directs us to also go to the Father. As Jesus' disciples, we can discover joy through, notice, prayer. He invites us to ask whatever. Now you say, whatever? Well, I'm looking for a new car. Well, this has to come in reason, okay? He's talking to disciples, number one. And he's saying, hey, you ask, whatever. First of all, it starts with a relationship. And he's saying, ask in the present tense. Hey, humbly ask a favor. Hey, God, could you, could you do this? Hey, this means first, again, this relationship. He's saying, hey, you could, you could pray all day. But if you don't have a relationship, you know, it always kills me how people, oh, I pray, I pray. But you ain't walking with Jesus. Who are you talking to? Here, look, understand. Hey, this call first to repentance and turning to him as your father through a relationship through Jesus, the son of God. On the basis of Jesus' merit and not our own. Hey, we cry out to him. Hey, in line with his character and will. In line with his word. Here, look, understand, the purpose of this is to enter into the presence of God, to turn our hearts to his will and not our own. As you think about this here, hey, 
The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus spoke of this parable, and he says to them that men ought always to pray and what? Not lose heart. But here, don't be afraid to ask. Ask in faith. Ask whenever you want to ask him. Hey, but ask. Begin to ask in line with his word. How about asking for some people to get saved? How about asking for some people to see transformation in their life? How about asking for some people to be healed? For some relationships to go deeper and, and, and um, grow in depth? How about those ask? How about asking on behalf of someone else instead of always asking for ourselves? Here, look, I mean, you think about this here. Hey, the reality is this. You may be in a relationship with Jesus today, and he calls you to ask whatever you want to ask. But here we also see that if it's whatever, if you don't have a relationship, there is something you can ask. The whatever for you is, God, would you forgive me for my sins today? I come to you on your terms and not my own. I surrender to you in repentance. If that's your heart today, I pray that you would say yes to Jesus. You would get plugged in with the leadership here, and they would walk you through the practical things that, hey, first starts with repentance. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the truth of the matter is nobody's getting to heaven unless you go through him. As we close these three things, I just want to reiterate. Number one, a little while with Jesus can bring clarity to our hearts. A little while in sorrow can birth great joy to a lost and dying world. Hey, and finally, a little while in prayer is where we will eventually discover fullness of joy. Father, we thank you for your living word today. And I thank you for this local expression of your kingdom, God. I thank you, Lord, for you, Grace Church and the leadership here and the family of God here, God. I just pray that you would just go before them, continue to build, strengthen, and equip for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.